The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Good morning, church family. Good to have you here. Welcome to church. Glad you are with us this morning as we launch into this new series this morning. I'm so excited for it. So I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm sure for all of us, to some extent, the last two plus years, there's been a lot of change in our lives. Right? Even if there hasn't been major change, there's been some change. I know for mine, there's not only been the regular changes that all of us have gone through, but major changes as well. Two years ago, I lived like 2,000 miles away. I had a different job, and I did not have any kids. My life looks a lot different now than it did two years ago. But even if you haven't moved, if you don't have a new job, even if you don't have any new kids, still, with everything that's gone on, there's been a lot of change. And what happens with this change, right, is it's hard to find the rhythms that we once had. And I know for a lot of us, we, we had certain rhythms that were upset, and so we kind of got into the flow of these new rhythms. And then, like, recently, our boss called, and it's like, hey, you have to come back to work. And we're like, what? Like, I was just finding my sweet spot. I have to show up now? No, 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 I don't like. And so it's like we, we are constantly like, oh, now it's a new rhythm again that we're finding ourselves in. And this series that we're going to talk about are these, these rhythms of life, the things that can help bring us wholeness and growth as we seek to follow after Jesus. In the next seven weeks, we're going to be talking about these, these different rhythms, different habits that are helpful for us as followers of Jesus in our walk with him. Now, I want to make sure we get this clear as we start and launch into this series that none of the things that we're going to talk about the next seven weeks are means of salvation. It's not as if you do these things, then you are saved. We are saved by grace alone. And it's what God has done for us in Jesus that saves us, not any of our own human efforts. It's simply us responding in faith to what he has done. But I love what um, Dallas Willard said many years ago. He said this, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. And the Bible, if you read through it, is filled with phrases talking about working out your salvation, making every effort, and all of these words to talk about our responsibility. It's what we call our growth or our sanctification, becoming more like Jesus in this life. And grace is not opposed to us putting forth effort to grow. It is opposed to us thinking that because we do certain things that now we get something from God. So we receive grace, but we grow in our faith with him. It was about five years ago, I believe five years ago, when Hurricane Harvey hit the coast off the Atlantic and specifically hit the city of Houston very hard. An insane amount of rain came in just a very short period of time. And I remember this news story that came out during that season. There was an elderly man who was driving to go and visit his son, and he got a little too close to the side of the road as the waves and the water was rising from all the rain. And suddenly his car was getting swept off the road and swept swept away. And suddenly the water kept increasing as he was getting pushed. And it became apparent that he was about to get trapped in his car and possibly die. 
And people pulled off to the side of the road. They saw this, and this is one of those situations where they realized, like, hey, we can't wait for emergency responders to show up. It's going to be too late. And so a whole bunch of ordinary citizens, just like you and I, realized, well, I can't, I can't myself just go because then I'm going to get swept away in the same current that took the car. And so they formed a human chain holding on to each other, about 15 or 20 people to go out, climb on top of the car, help pull this elderly man out, and to actually save his life. And to me, it's a powerful picture of what is possible in community, in relationship, that isn't possible just on our own. See, left on his own, the man would have perished. If someone would have tried to save him on their own, they wouldn't have been able to save him. But a group of people coming together was able to save this man. This first rhythm that we're going to talk about this morning that we need to have patterned in our life is the rhythm of community. The rhythm of community, of relationships that God has wired us for, that we all need in our lives. Now, as we jump in, I'm going to talk for a second here. What, what am I meaning when I talk about community? Because that's a, a word that a lot of people use in different contexts, and it, it could be used to describe different things. I think it's helpful, actually. Edward T. Hall, many years ago, kind of came up with an, uh, a framework of four different types of community, of four different types of relationships that every human person should have. On one end, you have what he calls public community. This is the belonging that you feel with just a random person. Say you have your 49ers jersey on and you see someone else with a Niners jersey on and you're like, hey, like that's public community. I'm a cyclist. Cyclists around this area, every time we see another cyclist, we normally do the hand wave. If we can't get a hand, we at least do the little head nod to each other. It's like, I have no idea who that person is going by me so fast. I couldn't even recognize them if I knew who it was. But it's like this type of community. No words even need to be spoken. It's like this public belonging that we have with one another. Next, you have social community. This is the world of small talk on the people that you just kind of casually know. And since we're Americans, what do we talk about in social community? We talk about the weather, because that's just what we do, all right? So th this is like that little small talk that, that you'll have with the people that you run into, that you just see once in a while, maybe at, at school. This is often the kind of community that some of us only experience, or experience to the highest here at church. See, we, we show up and we talk to some people, but if you just show up here every now and then and you kind of come and go, you don't really see anyone all the time. You don't really recognize anyone. So you'll, you'll kind of talk about surface level conversations. It's just chit chat. The next level of community is personal community. This is where people really know you. It's not just that you talk about easy topics, but you share your life experiences. You share your thoughts. You share your feelings. You share your, your struggles. You share your shortcomings. It's a different level than you would with just anyone, but people who you who have gotten to really know and you share intimate things about your life, personal details. And then the last stage is what is called intimate relationship. This is your closest one to two people in your life. If you're married, this is probably your spouse. If you have like that lifelong best friend that you can talk to about anything, that's this person. What happens is in our world is so much of us, so many of us have so much community over here. 
Why? Because the internet is great at providing stuff like this. Like you can find people who have your common interests, no matter how obscure it is all over the world. And you can experience this sense of community around certain things. But we are so lacking in our world at personal connection and relationship, personal community with one another. It's why in our world, we are more connected than we've ever been, yet more lonely and isolated than we've ever been as well. And when we talk about community today, it's about moving past just this surface level relationship with one another to this personal sharing. People know who I really am, and I know who they truly are. And health is found in life as we have all four of these types of communities. Not that one is bad, but when we only have one or two kinds, it actually hurts us as people. Our outline today, first, the first point we're going to look at is simply this, the good of community. The good of community. And this is true for every single person, regardless of your belief system. Any person in the world benefits and is good when they are in community relationships, personal relationships with others. The Bible starts in Genesis 1 with the creation of the world. And it's a beautiful, a beautiful image as God creates the world. And a phrase is said over and over and over again. God says it was good. It was good. It was good. Over and over and over again. Genesis 1. It was good. Then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. In the original language, the sentence here actually starts with not good. So it's good, it's good, it's good, not good. Suddenly you're like, wait, whoa, something is not good. What is not good? That man is by himself. And so God creates a helper for him. It's not the main point, but since we're talking about Genesis 2.18, we want to make sure you understand a helper here in this context is not like some subpar sub-creation that woman is compared to man. But helper is this co-equal that one is not complete without the other. The word helper in the Old Testament is most commonly used to describe God as Israel's helper. This is not a negative term for women, but saying you are co-equal that is not good to be by yourself. Notice too, if you know anything about how the book of Genesis starts, sin enters the world in Genesis 3. This is before sin has entered into the world that God says, this is actually not good. Because see, one of the unique things about Christianity is that we have what we call, we believe in a Trinitarian God. That God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when you think about it, for eternity, God has existed in perfect relationship and community with himself. And we as humans are created in the image of God. And one of the ways that we reflect the image of God is that we are created for community, for relationship with one another, because God is a God of community, and he always has been. This passage in Genesis 2 is not simply a passage about marriage. So if you're single today, it's not like, oh, well, that's for the married people. I don't have to live that way. No, the Bible is filled with ideas that no matter what, where we find ourselves in life, that community is important for us. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly 
broken. One of the most powerful things that God has blessed us with to grow in our relationship with him is the people he's placed around us. The people he's placed around us can be a powerful blessing in our lives to help us grow. There's a danger of living life alone, of trying to do things and trying to live life on your own without needing other people. It is no coincidence when you look around at the mental health statistics of what our world has gone through the last two and a half years. One, one survey that I looked at said they surveyed Americans at the end of 2019, and approximately 11% said they were experiencing symptoms of anxiety and depression. Fast forward to the end of 2020, and that same survey said they, they, they surveyed 42% of adults said they were now experiencing symptoms of anxiety and depression. What happened is that our social networks, our fabrics of relationships were ripped, right? And everything kind of got discombobulated. And as we became more isolated and more alone, suddenly all the other areas of our life started to have these bad effects on it simply because we were not in relationships with other people like how we used to. My wife and I moved here to California almost a year ago. It was last summer that we moved here. And if you've ever moved across the country, you know it's very different than just like moving within the area which you live, right? It's not just like buying another house down the street, but it's like everything in your life is brand new. And there's all these things to do. The laundry list is like exhaustive looking at all the things you have to do. I remember one of the things that, that we had to do early on when we moved here, it's like now you have to pick a new doctor. And we have Kaiser here. She's so like, all right, you have to log on to the website and pick a doctor. I'm like, getting, I'm like, all right, it's like the beauty pageant now. Like, who do I want to trust with my medical life now based on your picture on a website, right? It's like the most random thing ever. But there's all these different things, right, that are just brand new because you're not just in a new home, but in somewhere totally new. Maybe interesting for some of you to know that for my wife and I, one of the most important things that we focused on right away in the first month or two when we were here, when we moved here, is finding a community group. Finding a community group, a small group of people here at church that we could be a part of and live life with. See, we had been where we were at before for over 10 years, the part of the same group who met all the time. And we realized such a value and it was in our life. And we knew that if, hey, if we don't find that quickly here, that it will be a risk for us, actually, if we are living life isolated and on our own and aren't doing as much as we can to live life in relationships with other people. So if you're interested in exploring and pursuing this idea of relationships and community deeper here at Morgan Hill Bible Church, one of the things that we have are called community groups, and they get people into circles just to share life together. And Pastor Ricky, who's our pastor of discipleship, helped leads this area, and he tells me this, the problem isn't that people don't want to do it, the problem is, is that no one wants to host them. No one wants to host. And so if God is, if God is doing something in your life, you're like, hey, I would, I would love just to have these, this next level of relationship here, not just to show up on Sunday, but to build that connection, to share my life with others. We're, we're looking for more people to host these. This does not mean that you have to have advanced Bible college degrees. It simply means two things. Can you hit play on an iPad or TV? And can you put out some snacks for people a couple times a month at your house? 
a very low level, a very low bar. We're not asking for experts, but for people simply to open up their home and say, hey, I want to live life alongside others. And if, if that's you, if you're saying, hey, maybe that's something I could do, you can come talk to me. You can email Ricky. He unfortunately won't be here after the second service, but talk to Ricky, talk to one of us. We would love to help you think that because no matter where you find yourself, whether you're a brand new Christian or whether you've walked with God for decades, it's better to live life in community. It's better to live life with others. Our second point this morning is the uniqueness of Christian community. The uniqueness of Christian community. See, this first point, this good of community, is true for you regardless of your faith background. Whether you're a Christian or not, your life is better when you are in close relationships with others. So what is this, what, what is unique about needing to have this kind of relationship with other Christians, with other believers? What is unique about biblical community? Three different things this morning that we're going to think about. First is the guidance and wisdom that's found in Christian community. Guidance and wisdom that is found in community. See, when you look through scripture, the will of God is so often discerned, not just from one individual going out and finding it on their own, but from a group of people collectively discerning what God is doing and where God is leading. When you look at the Proverbs, it talks over and over about the value of having counselors and wisdom of multitudes of people into your own life. In Proverbs chapter 11, it says this, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. In Proverbs 15, it says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. I know for me in my own life, as I have so often tried to wrestle through and seek God in different things in my life, I am so, so thankful that the people have spoken around me, as people have spoken truth into my life. My life is better because I have had people around me who have spoken things, given me wisdom from God that on my own, I didn't see. I didn't see it, but I had people around. I was blessed at people who loved and cared for me who could speak God's truth into my life at moments where I needed it. And when you find yourself in a challenging struggle with your kids, with your career, with your marriage, with whatever it is, it's so valuable us to have other believers around us who can speak wisdom, can speak guidance, can speak truth into our lives. This is something that I try and practice all the time, even here at church. I've been here for almost a year, and it is amazing how many awesome things have happened here at church in the last year that were not my idea. I like, had nothing to do with thinking of them, but they were amazing things. And if it was all just left to me, it never would have happened. Literally, the title of this sermon series, Not My Idea. It was someone else on staff like, what if we called it this? And I'm like, that is so much better than what I had thought. Thank you. Because they could see something and I couldn't. There's wisdom found in others. Our church is actually even structured to reflect this. I don't know if you realize this, but we are governed as a church. We're led by a plurality of elders. It's not just me by myself up top, but there's a group of us as elders together trying to discern God's will, to discern God's leading. And it's not just one person out by themselves because in collective, God leads wisdom and guidance through relationships with one another that on our own, we simply would miss. And so having this godly guidance and wisdom speaking into our lives is a unique thing about Christian community. Second thing is this, 
is confession. Confession. Now, we often think of confession as an individualistic thing between us and God, which it is that, but it also is a thing that we should practice with other believers. It's not an either or, it's a both and. James chapter 5 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, amazing, since Jesus has come, the Bible talks about this priesthood of all believers, meaning this, you don't need to go to a pastor or to a priest or someone special to confess your sin with, but we all have equal access and equal standing before God because of what Jesus has come to do for us. And so what, why should we confess our sins, not only to God, but what, what advantage is there? Why should we as followers of Jesus learn to confess our sins to one another? To me, I think there's two big reasons. First is this, sin thrives in the dark. Sin thrives in the dark. Where sin is kept a secret and it's only you and no one knows about it, sin thrives. It grows there. No matter how hard you may try on your own to push it aside, sin thrives in the dark. And what happens is if your sin is just individually confessed between you and God, but no one else knows, so often it stays in the dark and it continues to plague you in your life. But what happens if you take that courageous step and you share it with someone you trust? Suddenly your sin is brought to the light. It doesn't mean it magically disappears. It doesn't mean that struggle goes away. But there's actually a freedom in taking your sin and exposing it and stepping into the light with your sin and allowing a brother or a sister in Christ to see your sin and confess it to them. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I have done this or have people done this to me, sometimes there's this fear that like the person we share it with is going to be like, man, you're really bad. Like for real. Like, But if you confess your sin to someone who is growing in godliness, they will see their own sin and they will see the cross and they will share that burden right with you. They're not gonna condemn you. They're not gonna say, wow, that's really bad. I didn't know you were that messed up. No, <laughs> they're, they're gonna hear it and they're gonna understand. And what often happens is they will actually share back with you some of their own struggles, some of their own challenges that they're going with as well. They will allow them as well. And so sin thrives in the dark and confession brings it to light and allows us to walk into that freedom. The second reason that, that we should confess sin to one another is the assurance of forgiveness that we can find in it. See, it's one thing when you confess your sin to God, it says that he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. And that is absolutely true. But when your sin is just confessed between you and God, there can always be these voices in the back of your head. Did God really forgive me? Does God really, really that? Like, that's pretty messed up. Does God really even forgive me for that? Whereas when you confess your sin to someone, after hearing it, they can look at you and say, yeah, that, you're right, that was wrong. That was sin. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said that. But Jesus paid for your sin. Jesus paid, yes, even for that sin. And to hear what Jesus has done for us spoken over our lives by someone else is a powerful assurance of forgiveness to us. That hearing other people remind us of what Jesus has done for us is a powerful tool in helping us walk in the freedom that Christ brings rather than the shame that comes of living life alone and in silence. And so confession is a unique element of Christian community. Third is prayer. 
Prayer is a unique element of Christian community. Like confession, it's often thought of as an individual thing, but there's power in praying for one another as well. As we just read in James chapter five, it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. One of the most profound ways that you can minister and serve someone is to pray for them. Prayer is not like the backup plan, like if you don't have time to do anything else or you kind of feel bad that you can't do more, okay, I guess I'll just pray. No, prayer is a powerful way to support and to serve and to care for one another. Don't underestimate the significance of this. And so practice rhythms of your life of praying for other people. I would, I would encourage you to have certain people that you commit to praying for every day. Have people that you commit to pray for every day. Maybe if you're a parent, these can easily be your kids. If you're a grandparent, these can be your grandkids. But maybe even think beyond that. Who's God placing in your life right now that you have a sphere of influence over? What happens if every day you started just to pray for them? To pray that God would use your witness into their life pray for others. I don't know about you, but when, when I'm not focused on praying for others, I stop and I pause sometimes and I look and I'm like, man, I am really selfish when it comes to praying. Like I have no problem remembering to pray for me and what I need. But what if I got to focus off of myself once in a while and I started praying for others by name regularly, practice rhythms of praying for others. Another helpful thing is when God places someone on your heart and mind throughout the week, pray for them, pray for them. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know where they are, but pray for them. And if you do know them, maybe text them and call them. Say, hey, God placed you on my heart. Is there something right now that I can pray for you for? But even if you don't do that, just simply pray for others. It's a powerful way to uphold and to support other people. When someone shares something with you, a challenge, a struggle, just something that they are facing I would encourage us to be slow to advise them and quick to pray for them. Be slow to give advice, but be quick to pray for others. So often what happens is that when, when other people share something with us, we just want to tell them, well, this is what I would do, and this is what I did, and this is what I would find helpful, when really the most valuable thing would be just us for simply to pray simply to pray. And what I've tried to make a practice of doing is, I don't know about you, but I'm busy and I forget a lot of stuff, is I don't just say like, hey, I'll pray for you later. I stop and say, can I pray for you right now? I'm in like the 15 years I've been a pastor, 14, 15 years, I've never had someone be like, no, can you please wait till later? I, this is awkward. Like people are like, yes, yes, please do. And it's a powerful thing as we can stand together and pray for one another. And so prayer is this unique element that we experience in Christian community that you wouldn't get to experience otherwise in the world. Our third point this morning is this, the power of Christian community. The power of Christian community. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, what Hebrews tells us is that love and good works 
stir up, they grow within us as we don't neglect being together in relationship with other Christians, gathering, living life, worshiping God alongside of them. Because what so often happens is that we don't grow just because we got new information into our head. But when we see how someone else parents their kids, when we see how someone else is walking through stress, when we see how someone else is handling grief and struggle and loss, it actually encourages us to be better, to follow after Jesus more, to love him more because we see examples alongside with us. It's not just new information, but we see faith lived out and it draws more out of us to be more like Christ because of the people around us. It stirs up love and good works within us. Acts chapter two is this passage describing the the early church and what the life was like for them soon after Jesus had departed. And in Acts chapter two, it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. In that very first verse, it says that the church devoted themselves to two things. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which would have been explaining who Jesus was, the works that he had done. But they were also devoted, it says, to fellowship. That word is a very unique word in the original language. It's hard to translate and really get with one English word. And so they kind of try, which is why they, they, we put that word fellowship on it. But this idea of what fellowship is trying to say is this, this rich commitment and active participation with other believers in the body of Christ. It's, it's, it sometimes conveys both sharing spiritual blessings and experiences with them. It's the same word that in some settings is used to, to give of material possessions to care for one another. But it's this life lived experience alongside where I help you spiritually, I help you materially, physically. We live life and we care for one another. And they were devoted not just to teaching, but they were devoted to that kind of life as well. This shared life amongst one another. See, when Jesus looked to the church, when he looked forward to what what would exist after he had left, what what did he pray? What did he want to be the marker in which we would be known in the world? John 17 says this. This is a prayer of Jesus. I do not ask for these only, being his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. What does Jesus pray for us? That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, get this, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus' prayer is that the hallmark of the church would be our unity in him, and that when we are united in him, that it would be a powerful witness, that the world would know that Jesus is who he says that he is. Why? Because of the unity, that kind of community that's experienced here as the body of Christ gathers together. Now we live in a highly polarized world, don't we? 
where we are quick to cancel anyone and anything we disagree with. There's no middle line. It's all pushed to extremes. And sadly, this is not just seen in the world we live, but sadly, this is so often seen in churches as well that we push people to the side over small and marginal disagreements. Now, I am certainly not saying that we should throw out historic Christian Orthodox doctrine and say we need to be united to people, right? If someone comes and is like, yeah, Jesus wasn't really raised from the dead, like, you're not going to be united to that person, right? Like, that's a fundamental doctrinal disagreement. But in my experience in the church, and when you look back at the last 15, 20, 30 years, and even recently on what churches have disagreed about, what Christians have disagreed about, it's very often not about anything in the Bible and just about cultural issues in the world. We think about how many churches split, how many Christians got into fights over music. Like, I hate to break it to you if this is news, but like, there's good churches that have bands. I hope we're one of them, right? But there's that. There's good churches that sing hymns. There's good churches that don't actually use any music at all and just sing a cappella. There's good churches who the only thing they sing are the Psalms. And they're all can be good churches. It doesn't matter the type of music. That doesn't define what a good church is. The, the splits and the arguments have come over Bible translations, like Jesus used an ESV or an NIV or a KJV, like all of these arguments that, that have torn us aside. Whether a pastor can be actually a pastor if you wear jeans or if he has to wear a suit up front when he preaches, churches divide and Christians split over silly issues like this that has nothing to do with what Jesus teaches us. And he prays that you would, we would be one. And so often we are just as polarized as the world around us. And so often as you look at the last two years, at the cultural issues around us, Christians divide just like how the world does. And we push each other aside over, this is how I think this should be handled. This is my preference on this. And if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. Get out. And that's our heart attitude so often towards other people, not over things that Bible, the Bible says are necessary, but over our own understanding of cultural preferences. My prayer is that when people come to this place, when people encounter you, that they would see something different. What would happen if when people experienced life, if they walked and talked with someone who went to Morgan Hill Bible Church, rather than experiencing profound judgment and polarization, what if they experienced the grace and love of Jesus Christ through you? What if they saw the unity expressed here amidst all of our different preferences, our different beliefs, the different things that I would want, that you would want differently? What if we set that all aside and said, that's fine, but that doesn't divide us, that we're still united in Jesus? None of those things bring us apart because we are united in Jesus and what he has done for us. So I think the world is sick of how it treats each other. People are sick of it, whether they're Christians or not. And what if they saw something different in believers? What if they saw us united in love to one another, even in the midst of our own disagreements, but that we were still united in love? One of the core values of our church if you've been around any, any length of time here, you've heard us say it over and over again, is our core value is relationship. That we say all the time, together is better than alone. And we truly believe that from God's word, that we cannot be who God wants us to be when we live life on our own. And I get that this rhythm of community is challenging because you are busy. You have a lot of obligations with your family, with work, 
Lots of you commute, your kids play sports. You don't have a lot of free time. And I get it, it's hard. But we are not who God wants us to be when we live life on our own. There's such value found in community and relationship with others. For some of you, this idea of community isn't challenging maybe just because of how busy your life is, but it's because of some pain in your life, that you've experienced hurt in church, that you've maybe opened up to someone before, you've opened up maybe to a pastor before, and they've, they've hurt you, they've used that information against you. I want to encourage you that that, that that was wrong and that hopefully won't happen again. I can't guarantee it, but I hope that it won't but that by yourself living in your own pain and your own wounds is not what God wants for you. And so wherever you are, I wanna challenge you to take that next step into relationship with other believers. Take that next step into community that you would find that who God created you to be comes more alive as you live your life, not isolated by yourself, but as you live your life surrounded with others. Together is better than alone. And pursuing community, leaning into the relationships that God has for us is challenging and difficult, but it's always worth it. God, we thank you. We thank you that of all the things that you have left us, you've left us in the family of God. And that through the ups and downs, the trials and tribulations of life, you are with us and you surround us with your people as well. God, I pray for anyone who came to church this morning feeling isolated, feeling alone. Maybe they're even watching online and they, they just feel so alone. God, would you just give them that courage to, to reach out, to live in community, to pursue relationship with one another. God, we thank you for the gift and the blessing you've given us of having other believers around us. And I pray that we would lean in, find this rhythm of community in our lives. And as a result of it, we would grow to become more like you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.